Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves. Here at the Good Dog Pod, we are all about supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. We provide dog lovers with the latest updates in canine health and veterinary care, animal legislation and legal advocacy, canine training and behavior science, and dog breeding practices. Subscribe and join our mission today to help give our dogs the world they deserve. Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I have a very fun guest for us today. This is my very good friend, Susie Zeremy, and she is the founder of National Purebred Dog Day. And for a lot of folks, this is a new concept, but this is something that Susie has been working very hard on for a number of years. And we now have, Susie, tell me, four states that have adopted National Purebred Dog Day as May 5th. Is that correct? This is correct. I learned last week that Maine became the fourth state. Excellent. Very exciting. It is very exciting. So tell us about this. Tell us what prompted you to start this and why National Purebred Dog Day should be a thing. I'm a writer by profession, and I had a byline column that I was writing for back in 2014. And I knew there was a National Dog Day, National Puppy Day, National Rescue Day. I'm a really decent researcher. And for the article, I wanted to know when National Purebred Dog Day was, and I couldn't find it. And I was absolutely astonished. And we were in the crosshairs of the animal rights people who were mischaracterizing what purebred dog ownership and breeding is all about. And I felt that it was important to create a day that would bring openness to the conversation about responsible dog ownership and the options that you have to either have a rescue, shelter, mixed breed versus a purebred dog. And so I quickly bought a stock photo, put up a Facebook page, called it National Purebred Dog Day, gave it a date, and then forgot about it because I was under deadline. And five days later, three days later, I went back and was astonished to find 5,000 people on a page I had never promoted. So that told me it was resonating with people. And long story short, I started a Kickstarter campaign to fund a website. And then I realized you have a website, you have a thing called national. Maybe I ought to get teeth put into this. And so I lobbied the state of Colorado with the backing of the AKC to recognize May 1st as National Purebred Dog Day. And it passed unanimously. And since then, we have been celebrating the character, the diversity, predictability, and heritage of purebred dogs on May 1st. And on that day, I have a fun photo contest. There is no fee to enter. I make no money off of it. It was simply to have fun and to spread the word about purebred dogs and to show off your purebred dog at home. Now, I make it clear that I love all dogs, whatever their ancestry, but there was a niche, a need to understand what purebred dog brings to the table. And what they offer is not just an amazing history that comes with each breed, but the predictability that some people need. If they're having a baby, they want to get a family dog, but they need to know how big is it going to be? Is it good with kids? Maybe you're getting a dog from mom and dad who are in their 60s and you want a dog that will not be too much for them as they become more frail. Predictability is important for a lot of people, and purebred dogs offer that. They do. And I think that that is the beauty of National Purebred Dog Day is celebrating 
that and celebrating the predictability, but also the diversity, because there are so many purebred dogs available. There are a lot of what we call land races are actually purebred dogs. And people are taking a second look at the dogs in their home countries that they took for granted because their parents had them, their grandparents had them, and come to find out they've been breeding true for a very long time. And so there is an effort to look at these land races again and designate them as purebred dogs. And that's exciting because it can coalesce a community and become very proud of something that is part of the national identity. That is absolutely amazing. Give us a good example of this. I have one I'm thinking of, but you give us one that is your favorite. A land race that became a purebred dog. Well, that could be a lot of them. Laura, what's the one you're thinking of? Well, the one I'm thinking of is like the Azawak, some of the sighthound breeds that come from Northern Africa and that Delta region that you have the Saluki, but you also have the Slugi and the Azawak and all of these that are of a similar make and shape and might be considered land race breeds. Mm -hmm. But then as you dig into it and realize that, you know, the caravan hound in India and some of these other breeds that really have developed and bred true for decades, if not centuries. And they've been often misidentified, mislabeled. The pharaoh hound, I think when the Saluki came over, it was called the pharaoh hound as well. Right. And it took them a while to sort out that, no, these are very different dogs. Right. Well, one of the things that I absolutely love about National Purebred Dog Day's website and your social media, your Facebook page, is the amount of information that you provide people on the daily. I appreciate that. That it is just fascinating stuff. And I've been involved in purebred dogs like you my whole life. And you come up with these things. I'm like, where'd you even find that? (laughs) I love ferreting out this information. And I wish I had more time to do it in a day. There are things of which I'm proud that I uncovered. And it took a little digging. But say, for instance, a Norfolk, a Norwich Terriers. I noticed that alternative names for these breeds, but in particular, Norfolk, has been the Contab Terrier, Mm. C-A-N-T-A-B. And the best you can find out is that it was named that because students at Cambridge University often had these dogs, if you can imagine, in their dorm rooms because they had a rat problem. And so they get these dogs to control the ratting issue. And it still didn't explain to me, where did Contab come from? And long story short, if you look in, there's a sign, the city seal in a city in Massachusetts also has that name on it. And it's a Latin phrase. (laughs) <laughs> and it just, I mean, it's its just this long tortured history, but I finally found out why it's called the Contab and it had nothing really that much to do with Cambridge and more to do with the Latin. Right. So it's interesting stuff. And there's always something. I learn about a new breed or a new piece about an old breed or all of those sorts of things. So tell us about the photo contest because I am always excited. And Good Dog is sponsoring a prize for the photo contest. Everybody who's listening, you can enter who's a good dog. (laughs) It is so much fun. We all have so much fun. I have David Fry coming back as one of our judges and people might remember him as being Mr. Westminster, but he is the current host for the National Dog Show that we all watch on Thanksgiving. 
Yep. And Jack Grasso, who is a photographer at Westminster, is also returning as a judge. And there is no fee to enter. The only thing I require of entries is that you either hand make or download and print out a sign that says, either happy National Purebred Dog Day or I love my purebred dog and keep it in the photo. And the only reason I do that is to have control over the narrative and to make sure that the photo was entered for this contest and not some other contest. Right. And you can't Photoshop in your sign. No, you cannot. No, you (laughs) cannot. But it offers a challenge to people to figure out how to incorporate a sign in what would otherwise be a pretty easy picture to take. It is very hard. I've tried. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And particularly if the theme has anything to do with water. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get a few drenched signs, but the contest happens all on Facebook on May 1st. The rules will be posted on Facebook, and they also appear on the website. And as the judges determine the winners, those are also announced on Facebook. And we have some amazing prizes. Impact Crates, I'm happy to say, is returning, and their stuff is amazing. They have the best crates ever. And now in a time of pandemic, Tool Clean is also returning, but this time they're offering an oven. Oh, my gosh. And you put your item It could be anything from a cell phone to a comb to car keys to grooming equipment. You can put it in there in about less than a minute. It will kill anything that lives on that item. Oh, I'm entering that contest. (laughs) There is no liquid. There is no death rays. So there's a lot of things you can put in there and they will come back to you the way you put them in. Awesome. So, you know, we have a dryer. We have some very cool prizes coming up and it's a lot of fun. Contest themes, we don't have them as yet because I encourage the sponsors to craft their own themes, but previous contests have been like, where's Waldo? And the challenge is to take a picture of the dog and put it in plain sight, but make it hard to find. Right. And another one is scenes from a book where photographers are challenged to pick a scene out of a well-known book or movie and recreate it, but with their dogs. So you can have Gone with the Wind and the dog is in a hoop skirt. I love it. My other podcast, Pure Dog Talk, we have purely dogs talking. Uh huh. So showing the dog communicating, whether it's to another dog or to a human. And that one has been tons of fun. They're really fun. And what's really fun for me to watch is to see people gather together on Instagram and Twitter and Telegram and all these different social media platforms and brag about their dogs. And they're proud of their dogs. And it's just a fun day to show how many of us there are out there, what we love about our dogs, because at the end of the day, they are our companions. They are our buddies. Even if they're show dogs, at the end of the day, they come home, they hang out on the bed. You know, they're spoiled dogs. But I especially like to see people coming together from outside the dog arena to use National Purebred Dog Day as a tool to promote their own good. So I'm not offended in the least when a frame company has a special National Purebred Dog Day sale promoting frames for pictures. Yes. I just think that that is expanding our world and bringing in more people to the arena of dog ownership. And I think that's great. And I love it when I noticed on Twitter a couple of years ago, I was so proud of this. One of the Marine bases had a mascot on the base. And I think it was actually a canine too. It was a military canine dog, right. Malinois, memory serves. And they used the day to brag about their military canine. Awesome. The beauty of purebred dogs is that they are 
everywhere. They are service dogs. They are military dogs. They are police canines. They are conservation dogs. They're finding coronavirus in places. They are tracking them. And again, it comes back to the predictability that these dogs offer. People who need to have a dog that is high drive, that will want to work for nothing more than to play with a Kong, are very motivated to become military dogs or conservation dogs because they know that when they complete their task, I get to play with my Kong. Right. I want to touch back on one of the things that you said earlier because, again, we love all dogs. Every dog is a wonderful character and personality. Okay. That's a given. They are precious. But a purebred dog, I know that if I want a dog that is going to herd me around, Mm -hmm. you have Pooley, for example. Right. Your Pooley's behavior is far, far different than my German wire-haired pointer's behavior because they were designed to do different things. Exactly. I have been amused when somebody will tell me that they can't walk from one side of the house to the other without their dog kind of not nipping, but nudging at their heels. Mm -hmm. And they find it annoying until I tell them why they're doing it. They are trying to gather you. They're trying to get you from one place to another. They're helping. And their whole attitude towards this dog changes. The dog that they loved before, they now admire. And they love seeing the dog in action. Right. And I love the fact that different breeds bring different things to the table. I love bloodhounds, but I could never live with one. Right. The people who live with them couldn't imagine living with my breed because of all the coat maintenance. Right. So there is a good fit for everybody. And all I care about is do your homework, whether it is a mixed breed or a shelter dog. Do your homework. Try to ascertain that you are going to be the best home for this dog and that it's a good fit for you. And you're looking at a very satisfying relationship for a long time. I was saying this earlier to somebody else. You get to select your companion for the next 10 or 15 years. Yeah. And so you can choose to have a companion that does a certain thing, has a specific characteristic. If you don't like brushing a dog, sometimes you can't tell when a puppy is young what kind of hair it's going to have. But if it's a purebred dog, you know the answer to that question. It does come back full circle to predictability. You know what Mm -hmm. size you're going to look at. You know the characteristics. You know that a lab and a golden retriever are probably great family dog fits. A Malinois, maybe not as much. Even though a lab and a Malinois have very similar coats and they're both active athletic dogs, their personalities are radically different. They are. And knowing that helps you make the right choice for your family. Exactly. And you inherit kind of a community of people when you get a purebred dog, particularly if you work with a breeder, you kind of inherit other people who have gotten from that breeder, but you also inherit the community of people who have that same breed. Yes. And you can compare notes and You can say, well, my dog does this. Does your dog do that? You can get tips. You can gather together for picnics. Well, one day we will gather again for picnics. We will gather again, I promise. We will gather again. But (laughs) it's a sense of belonging and being able to share. It's like having kids at daycare. You get together and you just compare progress and 
what the dogs are doing. And my breed, which is a corded breed, you'll gather with people who have no idea what to expect out of that dog coat, except that they know that as adults, they look very different than they do as puppies. Yes. And I know that when I get a call from a hysterical owner who's ready to shave the dog down because it's a solid mat, I know the dog's coat is doing what it's supposed to do. And I talk them off the ledge and walk them through what they're supposed to do. Right. And it's that way with every breed. Even if it's a low maintenance breed, there's always going to be something you could use the advice of from somebody who's already had one. Absolutely. And that is one of the great things at Good Dog, having a breeder that you can ask questions, that you can get advice, that you can get answers to these kinds of questions. I tell my puppy buyers, it's like 24-7 tech support. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. And, you know, a lot of us, I find, started out with a mixed breed. A lot Mm -hmm. of us, our first dog was a shelter dog. Although back in the day, I'm old enough to where you really didn't have rescues. You had the dog pound. Yeah, pound puppies. You got your dog out of a box that was in front of the grocery store. And it was a little kid saying, you know, we had puppies and here you have one. We've come a long way from there, but a lot of us also grew up within the fancy. I think you did. Didn't I you? did. I so did. So you come from, you have a legacy of your own where your mom was a significant person within the breed. Yes. The thing that I love about the, I always call us the tribe, the purebred dog tribe, mm-hmm. is we all have sort of an understanding of one another and we are always happy to see people with one of our dogs or another dog from a Mm -hmm. member of the tribe. And when I was a little kid, my mom had a miniature poodle, but my personal dog was a Beagle, Dachshund, Cocker, Spaniel, Lhasa, so poodle. Well, there you go. (laughs) So, you know, I think that the love of dogs is the love of dogs. Yeah. The love of purebred dogs is that we want to see everyone appreciate the living history and the beautiful art that are represented by purebred dogs. They are museum pieces with a pulse, I like to say. Something else to consider is how many of our precious breeds are now in trouble. Yes. Could you speak to this? Because I think this is so important. Well, a lot of people, rightfully so, feel good about rescuing a dog. And Mm -hmm. I get it. We all do. But I want your audience to consider that they could have a hand in saving a breed. Yes. If you can imagine, and I just, I had to refer to this just today. So these are facts of, they're like an hour old. In their country of origin, 20 bloodhounds were registered in all of 2020. Wow. 20 bloodhounds is not enough to sustain a breed that is so vital to law enforcement, to finding people with Alzheimer's, to finding lost kids. They're the only breed whose evidence is admissible in a court of law. But 20 dogs in all of the UK is shocking. It is shocking. There are more white rhinoceroses than there are Dandy Dinmont Terriers. Yes. And don't even get me started with otter hounds. There are six to 800 otter hounds left in the world. Yes. And otter hounds, I get this argument all the time. We don't hunt otters anymore. Why would we need otter hounds? Well, for starters, it's a wicked old breed. Yes. So I hate the idea that we lost a breed hundreds and hundreds of years old on our watch. But the other thing to consider is that you can repurpose them because otter hounds have in their background bloodhounds. Right. They have amazing noses. 
And they used to work in concert with Airedales back in the day when they did hunt otters because otters really impacted the livelihood of people by raiding the fisheries. And so they were considered vermin at the time. We're not there anymore, but that to me is no reason to let a breed just vanish off the face of the earth. And we talk a lot about the living history that is represented by purebred dogs. And my favorite quote was from one of the judges from Westminster, you'll remember, Dr. Richard Mean Mm -hmm. judged Best in Show. And his quote was that purebred dogs are our only living museum to our time on earth. And I love that image and that appreciation of the history that comes with the purebred dog. They are our links to the past as well, I think. They are testaments to people who sometimes risked everything during wartime to ensure that their breed survived. Yep. There were so many breeds that we almost lost during both world wars, and what the people went through who had kennels of them is enough to make you weep. They would go without to be able to keep their dogs fed, but sadly, some breeds like a Mastiff were so expensive to feed that rather than see these dogs suffer, the owners would just put down an entire kennel to spare them. It's tragic. They are really special. They meant something to the people who created them for a reason. They've built a niche from the Inuits in Alaska who needed dogs to pull travois to sighthounds that helped put rabbit into the pot for the family dinner. And they are icons in our own culture. It's not just other cultures. When you think about Oogie and Snoopy and Lassie and Rin Tin Tin, they are all part of the American experience. Absolutely. I think that's why Una was such an amazingly popular winner at Westminster, because everybody could relate to a beagle. Everybody knew a beagle growing up or had a beagle growing up. He was a great dog. I loved his story. He was such a great Uno we're talking about was the beagle that won Westminster Kennel Club in 2000 and (laughs) five. I I want to say five. I know you should know this. (laughs) Susie does some part-time work for Westminster Kennel Club. So I was really hoping she was going to pitch hit me there. (laughs) If I cram any more into this head, it's going to start moving out my ears. He was just a great ambassador. He was. He went around to schools and to nursing homes with David Fry frequently. He was a wonderful ambassador for purebred dogs. Yeah. You know that, again, we circle back to the predictability and beagles had a function. They were hounds. They're hunting dogs. Yeah. And I often want to get more of a meet the breeds in school program growing because when I think about it, if you bring a dog into a classroom at a future date, because right now nothing is normal, but at a future date in one dog you can have a lesson on history. Yes. You can have a lesson on science and genetics. You can have a lesson on language, costume, food, cuisine. Everything about that dog's culture can come into play in one lesson. Yes. And on top of that, Susie, kids are engaged because there's a dog they can pat. Oh, I know. And I have done school presentations with dogs on animal safety and on animal care. And it is uncanny how engaged those children are as soon as you bring in a dog. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. When I was in college, that was actually my internship. And I had a clumber spaniel 
that I would take to the another dog with a lot of history, a lot of history. And I would tell them the name of the breed. This is the clumber spaniel. And they would all say cucumber and clumsy and what have you. And I would tell them that, no, this dog is named for clumber park Mm -hmm. in Sherwood forest. And who else lived in Sherwood forest Uh with the maid Marion? Yes. And so we could pull in all of the history of Robin Hood with just this one long, low, substantial white dog. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of kids grew up with Disney, and I don't know mm-hmm. that they watch Disney anymore, but Greyfriars Bobby was a very popular Disney movie. Yes. And Greyfriars Bobby was a Sky Terrier. Sky Terrier. And his story was that when his owner died, he guarded that grave for 14 years. Mm-hmm. They have a statue now in that town, mm-hmm. and most of us saw that Disney movie. Okay. That was the Sky Terrier. And now there are more panda bears in the world than there are of that breed. Right. Or the movie with Richard Gere. Oh, Hachi. Hachi, about the Akita in Japan. And that is a true story. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. You learn so much when you go into the history of a purebred dog. And you gain so much. You gain the community. And when I think about who would want predictability besides the family, you know, joggers would want one. People who hunt. People who have disabilities. I first met a Pyrenean. Pyrenean Shepherd? Yeah big doggies mm. and I was covering a Belgian Lacanois specialty in Louisiana and they had an open show and that's where I first met them and one of the ladies who had one has a disability and she needed a dog it was really interesting to hear her talk about it because she needed a dog big enough that she could kind of lean on as she got up out of a chair mm-hmm. but she also needed a dog with a temperament that was bulletproof So that when she was in a public situation, nobody would be afraid of the dog Mm -hmm. because there are people who are leery of dogs until they know otherwise. Right. And so she had these very specific needs and the Pyrenean shepherd met them all. She just had these boxes she could tick off with that one breed. Right. A rancher who has livestock is going to need a different dog that for hundreds of years has guarded stock. And in some countries, they're using these livestock guardian dogs to help endangered species like a cheetah. The story of Lori Marker and the Anatolian shepherds with the cheetahs. I grew up in Roseburg, Oregon, and Lori Marker and Kayam were literally local celebrities. And wow. I have on my other podcast, Pure Dog Talk, interviewed Lori about oh, the work wow. that she is doing. I don't know that all my listeners appreciated it, but it was like the highlight of my time doing podcasts. It was hey, Laura, they could probably find that, correct? On yes, they could. You can find that interview. Yes, you can keyword search it. It is a great opportunity to learn about purebred dogs and the work that they are doing for big cats. And yeah. cats and dogs together are amazing. Well, they had these ranchers. You feel for the ranchers. Right. They didn't want to kill cheetahs, but they also relied on their, I think it was, is it goats that they, and sheep that they were right. farming? And you feel bad for everybody involved. The cheetah wants to eat. The farmer wants to eat. Unfortunately, right. they both need the same thing to be able to eat. And farmers had no option but to shoot these cheetahs. And that horrifies those of us who want to save this magnificent cat survive. Mm-hmm. By bringing in these dogs, the cheetahs were repelled from entering the area. They respected the dog's space yep. and knew that they were probably not going to win in a fight with a Kendall dog. 
<laughs> and so it's been a win-win for everyone. Right. It is an amazing story. It really is. And I really like the story of the Carillion bear dogs Oh, that are moving cool. bears out of areas where they're having too much contact with people because mm-hmm. otherwise the bears will be euthanized. And so these dogs are able to save the bears' lives. And that's a pretty impressive thing too. And it isn't every dog that can do that because I've watched these dogs in action and they're really annoying and that's their job. <laughs> that's they get in this bear's face and bark and bark and bark and really annoy the bear. And the mm-hmm. bear leaves because he doesn't want to get his nose bit. Right. Not many dogs will go nose to nose with bear. No, no. Carillion bear dogs are, again, bred for the purpose. Yep. And so... I just think that having an entire day in the United States to celebrate the history and the art of purebred dogs is pretty amazing. Well, I appreciate, and you've been a great supporter, Laura, and I've always appreciated it. And our problem is that we are both dog people. And look (laughs) how much we've been talking just back and forth about what, three or four breeds. There's 350 breeds in the world. We could talk for days and frequently. And days and days and days. Yeah. I mean, when you can't cover the history, then you go to structure and what makes a good dog, what makes a sound dog, because soundness matters in a dog, even if it never sets foot in a show ring. Most dogs love to play. They want to get up and down the couch. They want to go up and down stairs. It matters how they're built. You don't want a dog to live in pain every day of its life. And I have an entire seminar on exactly that topic for a good dog. Yeah. (laughs) It's important. It matters. It and so if you're going to get a purebred dog, I heartily recommend working with the breeder. But here's another thing to consider. If your heart is really still in rescue, every club that's a member of the AKC has a rescue committee. Yes. And no one knows their breed like someone who's lived with it all their lives. So if you want to say, get a, a Chernecki, which right. is a hound, you go to the Chernecki Club of America. It's not called that. It's Cherneco Bell Etna. Yes. I think. Yeah. Yes. So you would go to that club. You would contact their committee on rescue. They're going to be able to ascertain if you're a good fit for this dog and if this breed is a good fit for your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So you can really satisfy two birds with one stone. You can get a purebred dog, but you can get a rescue as well. And help a dog that's in a tough situation. I mean, purebred dogs come into or come to the notice of rescue in a variety of ways, whether the owner's passed away or mm-hmm. you know, whatever the situation might be. And so you're able to do a good thing for a dog in need and still have the predictability of what that particular breed represents. It's very true. My daughter had a pulley. That's my breed for anybody who hasn't figured that out. It's a Hungarian sheepdog and she got a pulley. And when that pulley died, every person that was involved in the transport of getting that dog from the owner's home where the owners died all the way to where my daughter lived. And I think it involved moving from maybe Ohio all the way to Montana. Wow. There were a lot of legs to the journey, a lot of people involved. And it was the community that she inherited when she got that dog. Mm-hmm. And he passed old age, I think it was 15 or 16 years old. And He was mourned by everyone who had a hand in getting him to my daughter. Yep. So we mourn our own. We do. And we take care of our own. And I think that that is one of the great things about good dog and our breeders is that these dogs have a home for life. 
and mm -hmm. whether that home is with me or another one of my family, my extended family, they're always going to have care. Yeah. So, and that a breeder will do that. I think you just mm -hmm. said that. I think yep. breeders want to know what happens to the dogs they bring into the world. And there was a story of a Weimaraner many years back who made quite the splash at Westminster. There was a guy involved in rescue, but he was strictly Weimaraners. Mm. And he looked on Craigslist and noticed that there was a Weimaraner from Champion Bloodlines. And so he got curious and he went to the house where the dog was. And this woman had like five kids all under the age of five. She had her hands full. Oh my husband never consulted her, always wanted a Weimar on her, but of mm. course, guess who was left taking care of it? Right. Long story short, he took the dog. The dog was in bad shape, lived in the crate most of his time, had some behavior issues that they worked on, had some health issues that they worked on. Long story short, he brought him around and this dog was magnificent. Mm. Mm. But here was the deal. The dog ended up in this home because the husband of the woman with all the kids got the dog from somebody else who couldn't keep the dog. And the somebody else that couldn't keep the dog had gotten the dog from a breeder. He was too embarrassed to contact the breeder and let her know that he had lost his job. He had fallen in hard times. He was just too embarrassed. And so he sold the dog on his own. And in the end, the dog ended up in a bad situation. Right. That breeder never knew. Right. It wasn't her fault. She was desperately looking for the dog, wanting to know what became of this dog when the first owner, she never heard from him. Right. So it came full circle, ended well. But if anybody ever finds themselves in a situation where they cannot keep their dog, please contact your breeder first. first. They want to know. They want to know. And there is no, there's no judgment. This isn't mm -hmm. about judgment. This is about making sure that the animal is in the appropriate home. And we worked really hard to put the right puppy in the right home and we'll work just as hard to find it a home if you're not able to keep it. Yeah, exactly. We care about the dog. Mm -hmm. So circling back, National Purebred Dog Day, May 1st. If you have a purebred dog, post your pictures everywhere. Everywhere. It's the day that I encourage people to get out with their dogs. The rarer the breed, the more I want you to get out. So that, yeah, it's tough in times of COVID, but we are still masked and you can still have a conversation with someone about their dog. You can stand six feet away and talk about your dog. It's not a hardship. It's awesome. Or I have little bandanas that dogs can wear that say, ask about my heritage. Yes, those are wonderful. So if you are shy and you are not inclined to talk about your dog, most people will not be rude enough to ignore the question. Okay, so tell me about your dog. Well, then before you know it, you can say, well, it's a German shepherd and it comes from Germany and it was a herding dog and it's a police dog. Blah. And before you know it, you've been talking a half hour about your dog. Well, that's the beautiful thing about dogs. Here we are on the good dog pod and we just start talking and here we are 45 minutes into it. <laughs> yeah. And we're not done yet, but I know we need to be. I know. Uh, everybody post pictures of your dog. National Purebred Dog Day is on Facebook. but there's I love my purebred time. dog. Absolutely. Go get your sign and download it from nationalpurebreddogday.com. Or just make your own, but enter right. the contest. The prizes are, are very cool. And it's just a fun day. It is. It's super fun. It's like my favorite day each year to watch these people come up with their photos. They're so fabulous. Yeah. And you know, people just still post their pictures if it's yeah. not even part of the contest. Yeah. They're all over Twitter. They're all over Telegram. We, we, we have so many social media platforms now. It's hard to keep up. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram is really fun too, because it's so oh, Instas. 
Yeah, that's always a great one. All right. Well, Susie, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you for asking. It's really great fun to reconnect with you and catch up. Excellent. All right. Have a great day, Susie. Absolutely. You too. Talk later. Good Dog is a secure online community that advocates for dog breeders, educates the public, helps informed puppy buyers connect directly with certified good breeders, and promotes responsible dog ownership. Good Dog is offering its good breeders special advanced access to the video recordings and transcripts for the full three-part Q&A webinar series with Dr. Hutchinson. All you have to do is sign up as a breeder at gooddog.com slash join. That is g-o-o-d-d-o-g dot com slash join. Or click the link in the show notes.